Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, and welcome to Angry Planet. I'm Matthew Galt. And I'm Jason Fields. It's 2023. It's time for authoritarian leaders to update their aesthetic. Sure, a stuffy military uniform used to lend an air of authority, but today's young leaders are looking more and more like Silicon Valley tech billionaires. Backwards baseball cap, laser eyes on their Twitter profile, plans to build a city powered by a volcano that mines Bitcoin, mega prisons ripped from the pages of Judge Dredd, that kind of thing. Yes, this week we're talking about El Salvador and its millennial leader, Naib Bukele. With us here to do that is Tessiano Breda, an expert on the region who has covered it for the International Crisis Group, and is now with the IAI, the Italian International Affairs Institute. Sir, thank you so much for coming on to Angry Planet. Thanks very much to you for the invitation. It's a pleasure. So can we start off? We'd like to start off with basics on this show. Uh, who is Bukele? Where did he come from? So Bukele is the um, is a disruptive um, character in the uh, political arena of El Salvador. He's, uh, he's beca- he became the youngest president uh, to take power uh, in, the, in the recent history of the country, uh, just the age of 37 in 2019. Um, he comes from a PR and, and, and business uh, background um, from a quite rich family of Palestinian origins. Um, he was introduced to politics um, by militating in the um, left-wing FMLN uh, party, uh, which the, is particularly the, the, the Remnants of the Greek group that after 1992 signed the peace accords and seized the civil war uh, in El Salvador. Um, so under the age of that party, he became first the mayor of a small town uh, called Antigua Cuscatlan, um, and then he became uh, a mayor of San Salvador, the capital of the country. There, uh, it was really the trampling uh, for him, uh, who is um, social media savvy. Uh, as I said, very young president, very close to uh, the young people and new ways to do politics through social media, Twitter, uh, Facebook, um, and, and really managed to basically uh, serve this uh, wave of, uh, of discontent that was uh, accumulating in, was being accumulated in El Salvador due to the inability of the Traditional parties, the FMLN, the same in which he grew, uh, and the uh, the other right wing uh, main party uh, called Arena, to deliver basically to attend to the problems of of the citizens. And El Salvador, you may know, was for long one of the most violent countries in the world. In 2015, was actually the most violent country in the world in terms of homicide rates. Um, four of the uh, Actually, the, the four last presidents were all either investigated or tried uh, or jailed for corruption scandals of great magnitude. magnitude. 
so he basically uh, used this uh, proximity to the younger to the youth um, and his ability to communicate to uh, to to serve this wave of discontent and and rally around an anti-corruption campaign. That's how uh, he became president in 2019 after actually being expelled by um, by the by the FMLN and so running on his own ticket. Why was he expelled? He was expelled precisely because the the leadership of a of a party that. Um, is not used to renewal, so to speak, uh, and is still lead, is still led by the remnants of the guerrilla uh, commanders uh, that fought the civil war. Uh, so in him initially, of course, an opportunity to capitalize um, uh, on, on 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 the on the votes of the people in, in the minor town and then the may and then the, the capital. But afterwards, uh, so in his ambitions, a, a risk, a threat. Um, and so the internal frictions uh, started to, to erupt and eventually he was kicked out, allegedly to, due to an episode of also um, sort of gender-based violence in the sense that he offended uh, a member of the party, a female member of the party. Uh, so he was kicked out uh, after that episode. And can you tell us what his, what does he believe? What is his political ideology? I know he was part of the left wing. That doesn't mean the same thing in every country, right? What So what exactly are his politics? Um, he has, of course, the background uh, on, uh, on progressive and left-wing um, ideals. But um, so he believes that the state should, you know, intervene, should be present, should be providing services um, and, and for the poor, for the marginalized. Uh, and that's why under his government, for example, uh, the, the, you know, the state the institutions have, have donated um, hundreds of thousands of, uh, sorry, thousands of laptops uh, and, 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 you know, and PC to um, the least favored uh, communities to, to, to reduce the digital gap. As they say, that's why, and that's part of his ideology, he, at least at the public level, in the public speech, um, he has introduced Bitcoin precisely to overcome a, a chronic illness of the country, which is the access for the marginalized, for, for large wealth of the population to the banking system. Uh, and so to provide them with also a sort of a, what can be uh, similar to a, to, a, to a banking, a saving account. Uh, but on the other hand, is very, you know, pro uh liberal economic policies pro capitalist uh investment kind of uh economy so he's a bit of more, he has a bit of a mixed uh record in terms of uh, um policies that he's he's uh, bringing forward so I, I wouldn't i wouldn't be able to 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 you know place it in the in this ideological spectrum doesn't he sound a little bit populist? I mean, he's just reaching out to whoever he can and grabbing favor from all of them. Absolutely. I mean, he, he is a, a pragmatic populist, I would say. I mean, um, he does not only, um, you know, appeal to the, uh, the, the least favored um, sta- uh, swath of the population, but also to... Uh, uh, Albeit there was there were initially some some frictions, um, he's eventually trying to create an environment um, of uh, greater foreign investment. So to try and 
um, you know, maintain good relations with with the private sector as well. So um, this is sort of a pragmatic spot for this. Of course, the, um, the and, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. The, the um, accusation and evident um, democratic backsliding that is taking place in place in in the country may not be so helpful in that second uh, realm of ambitions. But um, it's it's also true that you know in terms of tourism uh, and in terms of uh, you know Bitcoin investment, which is of course a very minor um, you know uh, part of the of the business community, but um, also the infrastructural level um, there's been a lot going on, and 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 the, and the state has of course tried and favored uh, some greater investment in that regard. So. So certainly is a populist. Um, it doesn't uh, seem to have uh, a lot of care for the um, debt of the country, uh, which is uh, in very in a very critical situation. Um, so in public spending in general, but um, but but he's doing so um, also with the aim to to maintain good relations with uh, with different sectors, um, although of course not the political position. So there's a there's a lot of a lot of reasons I wanted to talk about him uh, because they're one of the biggest things for me um, and there's a lot to talk about here was that there's this sheen on top of him that I haven't quite seen before in in like an author authoritarian leader where it's very modern um, and it's kind of playing to it feels like you're playing to this international audience that's on the, that's watching on the internet as much as you are domestically. He's doing a lot of this. And I think I'll, I'll link this video in the show notes for people. Uh, but one of the big things that drew me in and made me research him and want to talk about him was this presentation from November in 2021 for Bitcoin week. Um, El Salvador, he announced uh, that uh, Bitcoin was going to be the national currency. And as part of this, they were going to build a Bitcoin city, which I believe was literally a planned city in the shape of a Bitcoin. Uh, if you were to view it from above, it's going to be attached to a volcano. Um, and the volcano, they were going to use geothermal, geothermal power to power a giant Bitcoin mine. And basically, if you were to invest in this city or live there, no payroll tax, no property taxes, no municipal taxes, tax-free haven for anybody that wants to invest or live there, right? Um, it's a, the, the presentation is really flashy and very internet. There's like some UFO graphics and fireworks, but at the, there's a lot written about that. But what I don't hear about as much is all of the other stuff underneath. Um can we talk a little bit more about the repression of democratic norms? Uh, why do people, I see things like millennial dictator, authoritarian. We called him an authoritarian in the beginning. What is the evidence that he is suppressing democracy in El Salvador? Well, I mean, this this has become, uh, I think there are two watersheds in his administration that really uh, raised the alarm bells in that regard. The first happened in um, 2020 and the 9th of February, when, um, you know, against the backdrop of resistance from uh, a legislative assembly, so the, the Congress basically, who was still controlled back then by um, the the opposition parties, let's say, so the, the traditional parties, because the, he came to power with the presidential election, but, you know, for the first two years, he had to face the previously elected 
Congress, which still had the two main parties as uh, having you know the majority of seats. So in that in that in that moment, uh, the the Congress was opposing or was hesitating towards granting the government a um, hundred million dollar debt uh, loan. Sorry, um, from um, I think it was the World Bank. Uh, to finance uh, the uh, security program, uh, we, uh, of which the government hadn't really laid out, outlined what were the main priorities, how would this loan would be spent. So there wasn't great transparency about the use of this money, but they, they wanted the assembly to, to, to approve it anyway. Uh, these, uh, against this backdrop of hesitation, uh, Bukele basically stormed the Congress um, with the, you know, accompanied and surrounded by the military and sat in the chair uh, of the head of the legislative assembly. Um, so, so, and said, you know, I guess everybody understands who's in control now. So that really, uh, was a very undemocratic, um, you know, stay, uh, showdown of, uh, of force. Um, and, and very little willingness to um, to you know uh, settle things through dialogue, basically with the, with the other political forces. The second watershed took place in May 2021, when after the elections, the legislative elections this time, his party Nuevas Ideas obtained a supermajority in Congress. And on day one, uh, they basically uh, ousted the Attorney General and five Supreme Court judges of the, the Constitutional Chamber in particular, and replace them with government loyalists. Um, and so you now have an attorney general, which is really close to the, to the government. You have a, a Supreme Court, which is controlled by, by the, the executive, basically, um, and actually has uh, ruled in favor of re-election, despite the fact that uh, there is a clear article in the Constitution that prohibits uh, presidents from running uh, from from running for two term two consecutive terms, um, and so I think now uh, you you can see that at least at the very high level uh, there is a great suppression of norms. Then there are also minor minor events. There is um, a more subtle persecution of the free press and civil society. There's been a lot of uh, evidence of uh, Pegasus, no? this uh, uh, spyware, um, uh, Israeli-engineered uh, spyware being used to spy on journalists, on civil society representatives. There have been accusations uh, of uh, fraud that have been uh, arbitrarily carried out towards um, the, the, one of the major outlets uh, and, and the investigative outlets that have found actually that the government was negotiating with, with the gangs before the, the current crackdown uh, called El Faro, which was actually obliged or felt compelled to move uh, to Costa Rica and, and, and to, um, uh, you know, keep some of its personnel out, out of the country in fear of, of persecution. So there are, um, these, these also minor signs. And of course, under the current state of exception that I'm sure we'll talk about, um, you know, the, the, basically Salvador and, and the citizens have been living for now more than a year, uh, with some of their basic rights being suspended, including the right to a free and fair trial, uh, due process and, and the right to a legal defense. So I think the signs are there, uh, both at the macro level and the, and the micro level. But he's incredibly popular, right? Um, why is he so popular if he's doing all these things? Well, you know, um, people identify or 
perceive democracy with the lenses of what's delivered to them, right? And particularly in these countries that have been ridden by violent crime for so long, um, that have, you know, in any case, seen their liberties um, constrained by the presence of gangs, particularly in, you know, in poorer communities and, and neighborhoods. Uh, the freedom of movement was anyway, uh, you know, restricted for decades because you couldn't even cross the streets from some time if, you know, on, on one side of the street, the MS team was, was the, the, the gang in charge. And on the other side of the street, it was the uh, controlled by, by the 18th street gang. Um, so I feel that the separation of powers, the constitutional guarantees, uh, you know, all the big scheme democracy speeches are not something that the, the most Salvadorans can really uh, touch, can really, um, you know, feel that they are important for their lives. What they feel now is that under this current suspension of civil rights, the concentration of power in the executive, they actually feel a respite because the, under the, this, this crackdown that is taking place now, it's undeniable that you know, homicides are, have gone down, uh, the gang presence has somehow subsided, um, and, and, and this president has actually, as I was mentioning at the beginning, done things that no president had done before, you know, giving laptops to, to poor schools, building cubes that are basically laser centers that look like Apple stores in communities that have barely one main road pavimented, you know. Um, and or, for example, under the pandemic, uh, the, the, the giving a, a subsidy of three hundred dollars to a hundred thousand households that were uh, experiencing um, the, 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 the you know the, the the effect, the consequences of the lockdowns um, of the economic lockdowns. All of these things are appreciated as something that has never been done by anybody. So, you know, they put on the on the balance and they say, okay. Uh, my my liberties may be restricted, but at the same time, I feel a respite from gang violence. Um, I've been uh, granted some some. I see the state somehow uh, not only as the oppressor, as an abusive authority, which was the case uh, beforehand, but I see the state doing actually something. Not so much, maybe. I mean, the the, the basic conditions and the poverty levels are still very severe in the country, but it's doing something, and it's proposing an idea of a country. Uh, in its grandeur, no, in its sometimes megalomaniac projects, as the one you referred to before, uh, like Bitcoin, Bitcoin City, is proposing is the, the idea to change the image of the country instead of being just identified with gang violence, but actually becoming the pioneer in the Bitcoin use uh, or, or, you know, promoting two reasons for this, for the beaches in which you can actually serve and it was little known before now more and more is gradually becoming a center for for surfing so all of this, uh, these things that really uh, make people you know sideline um, the the issue of democratic uh, you know respect for for democratic rule and, and norms and rule of law um Matthew I just have one more question yeah okay where does the money come from? To give these laptops to people to build a new city, if that'll ever get built, where where does this money suddenly show up from? And it's a poor country, right? That's the very big question mark, and that's uh, the one million dollar question. Because one of the main problems that have been identified, um, and and besides the you know the the um, uh, blatant 
violation of, of democratic norms and, and the concentration of powers that I, I was referring to is the issue of transparency. The um, Salvador had um, a very well-functioning, one of the few probably well-functioning institutions in the country was the Institute for the Access to Public Information that's been co-opted by the state. So we don't really know with which money the mega jail, the new mega jail is being is being built. Uh, we don't really know, um, you know, the, the the where is the government thinking of? I mean, the proposal to build the, the Bitcoin city relied on the idea of selling Bitcoin-related bonds, right, like national bonds. So that was the idea. We 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 will collect funds uh, from the bonds. Uh, the volcano bonds, so so called, and then with us, with those, we'll Bitcoin, we'll uh, we'll build the, the Bitcoin city, which I'm not sure it will take place in a, eventually. But um, so that that was one. But the, the transparency is is really uh, probably the realm in which one of the realms in which this government has um, has produced more setbacks. And so there's really little to know about how the the money is being handled. What we know though is that. Somehow, more recently, after a, a time of, of uncertainty and, and, and concerns, even the rating agencies like Moody's, Standard Poor's, uh, are, are starting to somehow reduce the, the risk level of, of El Salvador. Um, also, vis a vis the fact that the, that the government has been able to, for example, repurchase some of the debt that he was due to pay. In January, for example, 2023, which was a big moment in which many believed that the government could go bankrupt and, and, and default. Um, and, and eventually, on the contrary, the government managed to repurchase some of the debt and, and so calm, appease somehow the markets. You're listening to Angry Planet, and we're grateful that you are. Many of you have been listening to the show for eight years. Eight years. Matthew and I love the show, and we know many of you do too. But it's simple. We need your support to continue. If you can, check out angryplanet.substack.com. There, you can subscribe to the show. We'll be creating more bonus content as time goes by, and we hope you'll think that the $9 a month or $90 a year will be worth it. Thank you very much. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. And we're back with more Angry Planet. 
Can we, all right. The other, the other thing that may has made news from El Salvador recently, and there's been a lot of headlines and a lot of striking pictures are these mega prisons. So I want to now kind of pivot to talking about the gangs and his relationship to them. So I think that's an incredibly, like, he, I don't think he rises to power if not for that being kind of the milieu, right? And without doing a 30-year history lesson, can you kind of walk us through, like, why there was such a huge gang problem? Why was violence such a problem? And, like, what were the main players kind of before he comes on the scene? Right. Well, we have to, if you allow me, take a step back, uh, a jump, a 40-year back jump, basically. So start, we go back to the... A civil war that was rocking the country in the 80s, which produced the flow of refugees and migrants uh, that mostly um, relocated to uh, southern uh, California, basically to Los Angeles, uh, mostly. Um, and in that context, these uh, you know communities of Salvador and Central Americans in general, uh, uh, where they settled. They faced a huge gang problem there of gangs that were pre-existing, the Mexican mafia, some Afro gangs, some Asian gangs as well. So in order to protect themselves, uh, they they eventually started to creating their own. Um, the 18th Street Gang and the, and the MS-13 are born uh, in, in Los Angeles. So this problem uh, was then exported or, um, to, to, to Central America or back to Central America when in the 90s, uh, particularly the Clinton administration started uh, this policy of massive deportation of, of people that are being, uh, you know, charged with criminal offenses for violent crimes. Um, so you have this massive influx of thousands of gang members that find a country uh, that has just uh, ended a 12-year civil war in 1992, um, uh, where the social fabric is completely destroyed, families are... Uh, you know, completely destroyed. Oftentimes, the children do not have have lost their parents, or at least their 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 fathers that maybe have migrated, etc. Um, so they find that, and, and they're very poor, and they find a perfect fertile ground to to recruit. So they start expanding um, and recruiting throughout the country uh, with great with great ease. Uh, the, during the years, they basically came to control uh, or to be present in, in more than 90% of the country's municipalities and to really control uh, hundreds of communities, uh, basically completely. Um, then there's the watershed. Uh, the, the, in 2012, the, the government of Mauricio Funes tries to uh, facilitate uh, or mediate a dialogue between the gangs and the state and to negotiate a truce, basically, so so it's called. And not only did this con- basically um, consolidated the gangs' uh, power at the local level, but also projected them and gave them a, a sort of a political uh, a political um, role uh, and and uh, identity. So in the years on, every government basically had to somehow deal with the gangs also through conversations. And that was the case of Bukele too, when he were, when he was mayor of San Salvador and he wanted to overhaul the, the city center, which was a mess with street markets everywhere. And he wanted to build a new market and place all the street vendors there. He needed to came to come to agreements with the street gangs that were controlling that part of the city center. And there's evidence of that, um, even pictures. 
uh, of the same police following <laughs> the gang members, and which found that they were actually meeting with some of the uh, of Bukele's um, the closest collaborators. And then he came to power, um, probably without the help of gangs initially. Uh, he needed, he knew that security was the main concern of Salvadorans, and he needed to bring results in that in that realm. Um, so we know that the, some conversations were entertained between government officials and gang leaders for at least uh, the first two or three years of his government, um, and that this contributed to bringing down the levels of homicides. Uh, then March 2022 uh, happened. It, is, it was a watershed. The, the, probably something in this mechanism of conversation, of we pro quos, uh, went wrong. And the MS-13 um, spearheaded a killing spree that left uh, an, you know, a trail of uh, 87 deaths in the span of a weekend. Um, if you just think that the, the average, the daily average homicides had fallen to two or three, that marks quite an, an alteration of that trend. And since then, the government has made a U-turn in that regard. Uh, so as far as we know, uh, the, the, the policy is not being of that, that of negotiation or conversation, but actual crack crackdown on uh, most of its members um, with the uh, arrest of, according to the government, almost 70,000 people um, during the past year, mostly tied to gangs, but we know that there are also thousands of arbitrary detentions. So when did they start building these prisons? Tell us about the mega prison. Yeah, so and, and that's that's something that's very curious to me because uh, I my my uh, probably redoubt is that he knew that he had to deal with gangs as long as he didn't control completely the state and and didn't have enough power to crack down on, on them. So he used negotiations for the first couple of years. Uh, to bring down homicide rates, to, to, to ensure control of the legislative assembly, but also prepare for some other plan B or some other scenarios in which he, this, this uh, balance would change. Uh, it's curious to me that even before uh, March 2022, he, in, in a period of relative peace or very low homicides, he announced that he would double the army. Uh, so not just probably something that could be useful at the political level to repress dissent, at the, at the later stage, but also to crack down on, on violent crime. Um, and soon after he launched this uh, state of emergency, uh, I think a couple of weeks after he launched it, he presented the plan to build a new prison. And then he built it in, in some eight, nine months. To me, it's hard to think that, you know, you would think of mega jail in a couple of weeks and you, you know, you draw it and you, 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 you know, you start planning on it, you identify the location, you, you, you know, the providers, etc. Um, so I think it's something that was in the mind before. Maybe, you know, it was accelerated. Maybe he didn't expect that that um, the outbreak of violence would happen in March. Maybe he expected that it could happen later. But it's something that he may have had in mind. So what we know, I mean, we know very little about the cost. We know it should be, it's supposed to host up to 40,000 people. Uh, the Financial Times with the aerial footage has estimated that if 40,000 people are put in there, it means that every person has like 0 0.6 square meter per person, which is really nothing, basically. Um, but we know that from, from Central American experience, you know, jails are designed for X and then 
usually uh, the overcrowding goes to more than 200%. So probably it's designed for less than half um, the inmates that are being announced, but then maybe at some stage uh, it will be filled with uh, with more. We don't know, though, if that will be the case. I mean, we, we have seen a few footage, as you said, about the first transfers, but uh, I think in the last uh, few weeks, I haven't seen any follow-up videos saying, yeah, we're reaching 10,000, we're reaching more. Yeah, they're being very cagey about letting journalists, especially outside press at all, in to take kind of photos of the thing. Everything that we've seen is pretty staged, right? Yes. I mean, it's. It, it, I think that the, the what ha- what's happening in prison is the really the the key to understanding where the country is going because the, you hear you hear testimonies of people that were unjustly detained and somehow been released. It's not that nobody's been released; some have been released, and they just tell horrific stories about what's happening in there, the conditions, people dying for lack of hygiene or for beatings, uh, abuses from authorities, etc. Um, so one of the reasons why I think that the, the, the government is being wary about uh, letting people in is precisely that they don't want to show uh, something not order, not as orderly as they pretend it to be with the videos that they produce. But in a sense, maybe they are happy to have people being released and having these horror stories, right? I mean, the idea being it might have a deterrent effect on crime. But, yeah, but I mean, it's, it's a deterrent effect also to 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 normal civilians. I mean, uh, <laughs> don't step out of line, or you'll end up in the mega prison with a bunch of MS thirteen gang members, right? That, that sounds yeah, exactly. like an authoritarian playbook. I mean, right? Yeah, it's a good uh, point. I mean, it could be. Can you tell me? And maybe this is something that we don't have an answer to, but an important part of this, an important part of any authoritarian's playbook. Um, and certainly Bukele's, is keeping the military happy? How has yes. he done that? Well, he's done that in two ways, at least. Uh, first of all, as I was hinting at, he's um, announced a doubling of the army. So it's giving them a very uh, prominent role in dealing with public security and therefore uh, by doubling them, also in providing them with the equipment, with personnel, and with therefore, therefore funds. I mean, the, the, the security budgets have quite increased under the administration. So, first of all, it's a matter of of uh, resources. And the second way uh, in which he's keeping the happy um, is by shielding them from uh, anything that's related to the truth and justice related to the armed conflict. We know that the, the military has committed uh, you know, atrocities during the, the, the civil war. Uh, the most famous one is the El Mosote massacre that left more, around 1,000 uh, people uh, killed by the army uh, with the accusation of being, um, of being guerrilla members. But eventually, um, you know, there's evidence that it was just like basically a, a small village being wiped out by, by the military. And the government has shielded the, the military from any prosecution in that case, instead of, you know, giving in the, the, the books, the registries, the, um, any evidence that could use, could be used by prosecutors to, to, to find truth for the victims and to, to seek justice. Um, he has completely, um, uh, impeded that from happening. So I think in these two, in these two realms is, is, uh, keeping them close. 
one thing that's really interesting to me, and just to point it out, uh, is the extreme right wing in the United States is actually starting to look to Bukele as an example and And these prisons as a great idea. (laughs) And also kind of the weird online shit posting guys also really love him too, part because of the Bitcoin stuff, because of his style and his aesthetic. Um, I think there was a there was a headline in the Washington Post like maybe a day or two ago that some fans went down there to check things out and got arrested themselves. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I just I think those are interesting data points that he's also become popular in countries that are not his own, which is always great. He's a Latin American phenomenon. I mean, he, you can already see how this crackdown. I mean, the state of exceptions or emergencies, as you will. Uh, are not unique, uh, not uh, you know new to uh, new tools to to deal with insecurity, but they usually apply to locally you know localized out, outbursts of, of violence and for a limited period of time. With the in, you know the current year, the, the last year, they've been associating more and more with Bukele because of course it's been prolonged many times, but also it's been producing, it's been yielding results eventually. I mean, if you look at the, the figures that they'll say, I mean, uh, there has been some twisting in, in some figures, like, you know, that, uh, uh, gang members that are, are actually clashing with the police and, and are shot by the police in a, in a shootout are not counted, as Omis says, as they were before. Um, so there, there's been some some playing around with, with figures, but eventually, you know, the, 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 the figures, the low levels of homicides are uh, perceivable and are real. So, uh, first of all, the results. Second of all, the you know the the, the cinem- cinematic uh, Hollywood style presentation of the measures, um, and in in general terms, the the projection, the communication. Every time a day ends with no homicides, the government is there to promote it. Um, so it's already become actually a, a, an electoral campaign tool for politicians across the MHB. You you see presidential candidates in neighboring Guatemala. In Chile, I mean, the, the most democratic state, probably one of the most developed ones, um, in, in Peru, in Colombia, everywhere. Um, and, um, and that's becoming a phenomenon. Honduras has actually imposed similar measures. It's, it hasn't brought them to the, to the full extent that it's been implemented. They are being implemented in the southern, but it's imposed a similar measure and, and taken on a similar discourse, just replacing war on gangs with war on extortion, but basically, um, so it's it's a really a political electoral tool, um, and in the states as well, of course, this mano dura, this iron first, uh, iron fist um, uh, projection and uh, attitude um, is uh, is very popular with uh, with some sectors of the society, particularly the conservative ones, that think that you know violent crime can just be solved if the states step in with uh, with the military and arrest or even worse, all criminals. So next election is 2024. Yes. Uh, he's, you said that he's, he's not supposed to run again, but he's running again. Is that correct? Is that okay? What else, what are you watching in 2024? What are you going to be looking for? How do you think things are going to be playing out? Well, um, I mean, to, to be the devil's advocate is not the first <laughs> to twist uh, the Supreme Court and 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 uh, and you know obtain favorable rulings to, to run for elections in in Central America is already a third. I mean, it was one of Orlando Hernandez, with in Honduras, which 
we know which ties he had uh, and is now being tried in the US on drug trafficking charges though. Um, Nicaragua in, uh, in, uh, I'm sorry, Ortega in Nicaragua. So it's, it's not great precedent, but, uh, um, we have precedent. So it's, um, and it's, uh, you know, understandable that he said he sought to do something similar. Um, so he's running for, ele- for re-elections. I don't, I don't see any, uh, potential candidate that could challenge him seriously. What I would watch is, uh, the overall, uh, space being left to other political parties to campaign, um, and the uh, way in which uh, the, the particularly the legislative uh, and, and municipal elections would be dealt with. Um, this time, the, the three elections are actually they coincide. So, um, the, the presidential level, the, the result is already written, in my opinion. The what it needs to be looked at is the, if the Ruling party will be able to uh, secure again a supermajority on their own, uh, or it will lose a big ground because, of course, on you had this huge level of votes uh, for this new party because people were associated with with Bukele, but you know, particularly the municipal level, uh, you know, where where the interaction is more direct, no, between the citizens and and the authorities. Uh, some discontent, uh, you know, as, as, has been played out. I mean, these are new people in main cases with no experience, just, you know, pressing the button, um, for, uh, for, for something that Bukele proposes. Um, and at the local level, they, they may not be able to, 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 uh, you know, handle things that the president cannot handle on a daily basis. So I would see whether that could be a slight, you know, reshuffling. Uh, at the municipal and legislative level. Sir, thank you so much for coming on to Angry Planet and walking us through this. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of Angry Planet. The show is produced with love by Matthew Galt and Jason Fields, with the assistance of Kevin O'Dell. This is the place where we ask you for money. If you subscribe to us on substack.angryplanet.com, it means the world to us. The show, which we've been doing for more than seven years now, means the world to us, and we hope it means a lot to you. We're incredibly grateful to our subscribers. Please feel free to ask us questions, suggest show ideas, or just say hi. $9 a month may sound like a big ask, but it helps us to do the show on top of everything else that we do. We'd love to make Angry Planet a full-time gig and bring you a lot more content. If we get enough subscriptions, that's exactly what we'll do. But even if you don't subscribe... We're grateful that you listen. Many of you have been listening since the beginning, and seriously, that makes it worth doing the show. Thank you for listening, and look for another episode next week. Stay safe.